And if you haven't been around with us the last four weeks, um, we've been discussing this concept of invitation. This idea that for us, we are called to go make disciples. And a lot of times what we have made that to be, a translation of what we often treat that as, is, hey, go invite someone to church. And by doing that, you're hope, we're hoping that maybe they'll attend church with us, glean something from what's being said by the goofy guy up front, and um, then maybe something will stick and take hold, and maybe they'll make a decision to follow Jesus, and then we call it mission accomplished. But the problem is, is that that's not at all the way Jesus talked about calling disciples into his life, following him in his way. And what does it mean to make disciples more of this concept of how do we invite people into our lives, into our ta- to our tables to eat with us? How do we invite people to walk through life that we're struggling through as we are disciples of Jesus and letting them, and not letting them, asking them, inviting them to come walk in life as we kind of figure that out and discover that. And as we discuss and study and learn together, it opens up the doors for discussion and conversation to lead into that. And so we've kind of covered these three ideas. We've even talked a little bit about who is it that we're inviting. And some of these, so I guess it's actually been five weeks probably that we've been discussing this. But I just kind of felt like we needed to say just a touch more before we move on. And this morning, as we kind of open that door back up, it's kind of this idea to me that the last little piece of this to wrestle with is the idea that we believe what we are inviting people to when we invite people into relationship with Jesus, we invite people into church, we invite people into things like this, is a good invitation, right? If you remember rewinding back to the beginning, we talked about what a good invitation is. It feels good to be invited to a party that you wanted to go to. With it, maybe not everybody was getting invited to, but you felt like an invitation, like you were welcome, you were being asked in, that feels good. Maybe there's some exciting event that you really wish you could go to, and somebody offers you a free ticket. Hey, I've got an extra ticket to this game. Would you like to go? That invitation feels great. And when we offer an invitation, we want it to feel great, right? And a lot of times what we have done is we've tried to build our invitations to other people to feel great. Listen, you're a mess and so am I, right? And guess what? There's this Jesus guy I know, and he died on a cross to save you from your sins, and you can be forgiven of all the crummy stuff you've ever done. Because, I, I mean, we've been friends for a long time. I know you've done a lot of crummy stuff. Trust me. If you didn't know, I know. It's trust me. You're crummy. And so Jesus will forgive you from all that crummy stuff you've done, right? And we kind of, we're silly. We're acting like, I'm being a little facetious and goofy, right? But this is kind of this mindset of like, we're all broken mess, And this beautiful invitation of forgiveness is fantastic. And therefore, when Jesus offers you that gift of forgiveness and sets you free and offers you the gift of eternity with him, that sounds, number one, like truth, and number two, like a great invitation, something you should be excited about. And a lot of times we package it in different ways to try to make it sound better. Hey, You want to come follow Jesus. This is a great invitation because it's just going to be so much more joy in your life. It's this awesome invitation. God is going to make your life so much smoother and so much easier. And I don't know if I've heard this kind of invitation where everything just feels easier 
and better when you make that decision to follow Jesus. Because I genuinely believe that Jesus offers us life to the full. Meaning when we live in his way, filled with his presence, living out of that presence, trying to be with him, to become more like him, and ultimately to do the things that he did, as we do those things, we start to make decisions that ultimately bring about good, bring about that fruit of the Spirit that we talked about. The fruit of the Spirit kind of starts to work through us. We experience more love, more joy, more peace, more patience. That becomes who we are. I think that produces amazing fruit in the environment around us. But let's be perfectly honest for just a second. When we start to follow Jesus, does that eliminate sin from the world around us? No. So life is still hard, Because there are still things that are broken. There are still things that aren't going well. There are still people making decisions around us that are broken. And the the world around us is still difficult to navigate. It becomes easier because we are walking with Jesus. And he is our comfort. He is our support. He is our strength. He's our everything, right? But does it mean that I get it right the first time? No, it's really hard at times. And as I struggle to learn what this means, we've talked about this. This invitation is about more than just saying, I checked my ticket to heaven, everything's good, I'm good, I can just sit back and relax. No, there is this call to follow, to be actively doing something. And when we really get down to it, the invitation to be in this relationship is kind of hard. What we are talking about, going and making disciples... Pick up your cross daily and follow me. These aren't like simple little things that just feel like, oh yeah, no problem, life is great. There is a sense of, like Jesus is using the illustration, this this imagery of picking up your cross and dying to yourself for a reason. Paul talks about putting the old man to death so that the new man can be alive in us. This imagery of complete transformation, complete metamorphosis, complete change from one Thing to another. How many of you like change? It's just like your favorite thing ever. Right? Change feels tricky and hard. And I bring all this up because we, we mentioned this quote a week or two ago, the last couple of weeks. The greatest issue, this is a Dallas Willard quote that we mentioned. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians, will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. If he believes that that's one of the greatest problems, he's obviously seeing this disconnect from how we live and how we follow. Because it's not an easy, it is an easy thing to just call ourselves Christians, to claim some sense of, yep, I checked that box, I did that thing, I followed those three steps, and therefore I'm a member now. I followed those three steps, and now I'm in the club now. But to put our, this teaching into practice, to start following Jesus as our rabbi as our leaders our teacher the one we follow and try to follow so closely that we we become consumed with becoming like him and trying to do things the way he would do them is hard work it is this constant putting to death of ourselves and so we talk about that that's tricky and hard to do 
And it's hard to want to do. And that's why I feel like for a lot of us, the struggle and for the culture and the people who look at this and see, there's this disconnect between people who say they follow Jesus and people actually acting like Jesus. It's why culture has this skepticism towards, I'm not sure if I want to be a part of this because I see this disconnect between what he taught and how people behave and how people act and how they treat each other and the things that are going on. And the reality is it's just hard to change. It is hard to hear the words and the teachings and the things that come to us and say, all right, now I need to act on them. It is hard if the doctor says, hey, I need you to change your diet and you're going to cut out all these things and only eat these things. Ugh. No matter if the doctor's saying it and I know it's good for me, that still doesn't feel good. I still don't want to do those things. I might do them for fear of self-preservation, but I don't want to do them. When we don't feel an urgent sense of consequence, it adds that much more difficulty in making any kind of change. And I say all of that because I look throughout the stories of Scripture And I think about different moments where God has been telling his people, listen, I have something amazing for you. I promise you, if you do this, I'm going to bring you here. If you follow in my way, I'm going to make this covenant with you. If you hold up your end, I'm going to hold up my end, and I'm going to give you this incredible gift. The kids are downstairs today talking about Abraham receiving one of those covenant moments where God says, hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Yes, I know you don't have a son yet, but trust me, I'll walk through the hard parts of this to bring you into this promise, and I'm going to uphold my end. Even though it looks like there's no way in this world that you would be having kids right now, you are going to be the father of many nations. And in the midst of that promise, Sarah is over here, Sarah, I, Sarah, his wife is over here saying, you know what? probably ought to just uh, tackle this problem with your maidservant because I'm not sure either one of us is going to pull this off together and we're going to be the father and mother of many nations. Maybe it's just you being the father. Take matters into your own hands. There's all these other aspects of different moments where God is making these promises to his people and they're kind of trying to figure out their own way, their own path. They're still kind of making decisions for themselves, saying maybe this is what God meant, maybe I'm supposed to go my own way. One of my favorites as I've talked about before, is this story in the book of Exodus where Moses is sent. He is living a nice, peaceful life. He's gotten out of Egypt with all the headaches and all the problems he left behind where the Israelites don't like him, the Egyptians don't like him. No one really likes him anymore because he killed an Egyptian and he's been you know, kind of disowned by his people. And so he kind of escaped out to the wilderness. He's watching sheep in a nice, quiet place, enjoying a peaceful life with a family. And God comes to him in that burning bush and says, I'm going to send you back to set my people free. I've heard their cries. They're being treated so poorly. I want to send you back in to pull them out. And in comes Moses. And he says, listen, God has this promise for you that he is going to deliver you out of Egypt. He has this promise. And he's going to need you to uphold your end of the deal. There's going to be some rules we're going to have to follow as we kind of navigate through this. He's given me some signs. I didn't want to come, but he convinced me. I made a lot of excuses, but I'm here. And he's trying to convince these people, listen, I'm going to go to Pharaoh, and I'm going to have him set you free. And he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, I need you to set my people free. And Pharaoh does not respond well. In fact, he gets mad and aggravated and says, you know what? Those Israelites, they can make 
bricks without all the supplies. Stop giving them some of the stuff that they need to make uh, what they're making and expect just as much production out of them without the necessary resources. We're going to make their life miserable and that much harder. And so here's this moment where God is promising freedom. But he's also saying, I need you to trust me and keep moving. I need you to keep going through the hard stuff. There are going to be hard things along the way, but I need you to trust me in the midst of the challenges. The gift we know of being set free sounds amazing. You could be out from under this bondage of slavery. As we look at that story, we say, why would you not be excited? And they're kind of like, could you just go away and leave us alone? Like it was hard enough before you got here. And now it feels that much harder. Meanwhile, the promise is still the same. Deliverance, freedom, your own nation, your own people. And we go through all these plagues. And I'm sure that though God protected them from some of these plagues and all these things that they had to endure and deal with, they had little exceptions where they weren't affected in the same way Egypt was. I'm sure that that season was still difficult and miserable and they were hated that much more. They were treated that much more poorly by the people around them, their community. They were that much more despised and hated because they weren't being affected. You realize this is a long journey and road, but God's promise is still the same. And in the midst of that, Moses is trying to be a leader who's saying, I promise, just hang in there, just keep your eyes fixed, just keep trusting and keep pressing forward. Keep seeking the goal. And I love this story because ultimately we know that God leads his people to deliverance, to freedom. And this great pillar of fire blocks Pharaoh and his armies from chasing them down when he finally lets them go and changes his mind. And God parts the Red Sea while they cross. And all these amazing things are happening. And in the midst of that moment, the moment they get on the other side, they're like, man, you know what? We had good food back there. They're still kind of looking to the ease of life, the comforts, the things that are easier to hold on to. God establishes them as a great nation. God eventually helps them overcome their enemies. There's a lot of trial, a lot of back and forth. I mean, so many ups and downs along the way, and yet they're still just always kind of looking for that more comfortable path. You know, following God's hard. Could you just give us a king? All the other countries have kings. Could you just give us one of those? God fulfills that promise, and the next thing you know, the nation's divided in two. It's being exiled. It's falling apart. There's bad king after bad king after bad king. You, you, you see the trend in the picture. God is continuing to say, press forward and seek my presence. Seek who I am, the heart of who I am. I am offering you good gifts. Yes, it is hard to keep pressing forward. Yes, it is hard to pick up your cross every day. Yes, it is difficult to trust me through things that don't go according to plan, that are hard, that don't seem like they're going as well as everybody else thinks they are but trust me, I am with you. I am your foundation. I am your shield. I am your strength. I will never leave you or forsake you. And we see the end result is usually this beautiful deliverance. We know that this whole big story leading up to this moment of Jesus dying on a cross is all of this trying to bring us back in because we weren't capable of holding up these covenants and Jesus was. So he fulfills all these covenants and accomplishes everything we couldn't and says, now you have access to God's presence without any of the barriers in between. 
Now you have access to the presence that will transform you and change you without worrying about your sin, your past. None of that stuff will be held against you anymore. Now you can just press forward and keep going. Yes, it is going to be a hard journey, but keep moving forward. I bring all this up this morning because for me, it is one thing to sit here and talk for several weeks about what it means to make disciples. It's one thing to sit here and have a conversation about how easy it is to invite someone to your home, to your table. It's one thing to have great conversations about how do you invite people into your everyday life and start walking in relationship and conversation. Those are all great conversations. And we may recognize that the benefit of those, the long-term product of those would be good. But for us, staying the course has always proven tricky. And I don't just mean us like Northside Christian Church. I mean us as in humanity. We are all guilty of keeping our eyes fixed, continuing to trust, and continuing to believe that it is worth it. Because sometimes when we face something that doesn't go according to plan, hey, that person turned down my invitation every week. You know what? I've been trying to have this person like join me in certain things, and they just keep pushing back and walking away and saying they're not interested. And I'm just discouraged. What do we do in those moments? Is it easier just to say, eh? Or is it important to continue living in that way where we love people the way Jesus loved them, continue to offer them that support and know that God's timing is more important than ours? That is a trusting factor. It's difficult to keep walking that path and that road. It's, it's hard to hear the words and to put them into practice. It's tricky to say, yes, you need to make that diet change. Yes, you need to make this lifestyle change. Yes, you need to start doing stuff different over here. It's difficult to hear that and make the move from understanding and knowing into action. Because we don't like change. We get into our comfort zone. We get into the way we like to do things. We have our routine for the week. And that's part of the reason we've been discussing these practices. They are things intentionally that break up our busy rhythms and routines and cause us to, in very intentional ways, seek God's presence rather than all the other chaos and all the other stuff we fix our eyes on and gives us opportunities to help develop a new rhythm where Jesus is at the center of it. He continues to be our focus. And that is why I feel it's so important to continue walking through that and encouraging us to be people who pursue his presence, to be with him. Because if we're not ever with him, we can't learn what it means to become like him. And we stand no chance at accomplishing the things he accomplished, doing as he did. And so the question is really the idea of what does all of this four or five weeks of invitation mean for us? What do we do with it now? What does it mean to press on from here? If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about this verse. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed from glory to glory, that one radiant image to another. God's, from our broken, messed up image to God's character and image and beautiful radiant image we are being transformed because we now have that unveiled face we're not like moses who has to cover up god's glory we can see the beauty 
of who God is, and he wants us to be transformed, changed, different, becoming something new. But I noticed that there's another passage that has the same mirror image, the same idea of looking into a mirror. This is in James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and preserves it, or perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this is a person, this person will be blessed in what he does. This idea that we're supposed to be transformed from one image to another, looking into the mirror and seeing who is Christ, who is it that I'm supposed to be becoming, being transformed into the likeness of, and am I starting to appear as him? Am I allowing myself to be transformed? And James has a similar concept but says, hey, if you're just learning the word, if you're sitting around having a great conversation about what we should do, we never step back out the door and actually do any of it, What's the point? We're like somebody who forgets what we look like. We're not actually leaning into the image of Christ and trying to reflect that image. We are simply slapping a title on there, like Willard says we are, and not ever actually becoming disciples who follow to become like. It's all throughout here, throughout the stories, throughout Scripture, throughout different moments, this encouragement, this warning. Listen, it is one thing to know the truth. It is another thing to embrace and live in the truth. It is one thing to claim Christ. It is another thing to follow Christ. And Jesus' invitation was, not really very often ever, hey, you want to be my follower? Cool, say this prayer, and you're in. You want to be my follower? Go get dunked in some water, and you're in. Jesus' invitation to anyone was go leave your life of sin. Go transform and change who you are and come follow me. Drop those nets and follow me, and I will make you into this. It is this idea of step away from what you've been pursuing. Repent, change directions. Remember, repent for the kingdom is near. This is the heart of his message. Stop pursuing the things you pursue and start pursuing my ways. And that invitation says, come follow me. Leave that and be different. Doers of the word. When he gets done with this great teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, go put these things into practice. Because the person who puts them into Practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock, not the foolish man who builds on the sand where everything's just washed away. My heart for us is that we are doers of the word, pursuers of Jesus, not just people who talk about him. The reason I feel such an impression and a need to talk about invitation through the course of this year is I feel like he wants to do 
work through us and in us, but doesn't want us just to punch the flashy buttons that will convince people to show up in our doors so they hear a good message and feel pretty good and walk back out and do the same old thing again this week, but come back next week to feel good again as well. And we can fill this place with as many people as it will hold. If that is all we're doing, we are still not succeeding. The invitation into this room doesn't accomplish anything in and of itself. But the invitation into relationship with Jesus, into a walk with him, into this relationship that is a disciple-making relationship. And it's disciple-making because I am first a disciple. It begins with us realizing that we can't accomplish the hard stuff unless we are also walking with people who support us, encourage us, push us, expect more of us. It is tricky sometimes because Moses knew God wanted them to go a certain direction. God, or Moses knew that God wanted to deliver them and offer them freedom, beautiful, precious life beyond what they were experiencing. But it was really hard for them to want to follow Moses because all Moses was saying and preaching and offering was creating more headache and more work and more stuff that, like, man, I'm just telling you, the food is pretty good here. The work's pretty tough, but, you know... I can have conversations and complain about this, that, or the other and say, well, this is at least good. And they're just okay in the status quo, even though they're miserable in the status quo and have been crying out to God for help, but they definitely don't want things to get harder and transformation is harder. And some days when we stand up here and talk about this, you kind of feel like that guy who the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I can tell you that I want you to join me. I want to offer an invitation to us. I want you to join me in pursuing Jesus, in living the life he did where he invited others to come along with him. I believe that is us following him, and I'm wanting to pursue that goal myself, and I'm taking steps to try to get better at it day in and day out. But to do it by myself is silly. To invite all of us to join on that, I think, is what God has in store for us. I feel like he has been pressing this onto my heart, saying, let's move, let's go, let's invite, let's engage. Our friends, our community, the people around us in relationships that produce transformation, not just into a space where our attendance is counted. But that invitation is just that can't force anyone to get out there and make a change this week, but I can encourage you and plead with you, I promise, despite how tricky and tough the transformation is, how difficult it may be to take the first three steps, the ultimate reward at the end is so worth it. Where Jesus ultimately says, well done, I knew you. You were helping those who were in need. You clothed me when I was in prison. You fed me when I was hungry. You were there for me when I was someone else who was hurting. Well done. I know you because you sought after me every day in prayer and in fasting and relationship and in Sabbath practice and these moments where you desperately wanted me to be at the center of the rhythm of your life. And not only did you make it this thing where you were seeking after. You were inviting others into that, asking others to study with you, asking others to pray with you, inviting others into your home and sharing your meal and your table and your hospitality and the beautiful things that I taught you to do. Well done, I know you. Rather than, I know you did things in my name, 
but away from me because I have no idea who you are. The image you're bearing isn't mine. It lived for you, not for me. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did so many good things in your name. Yeah, but you didn't actually know me. The invitation is for us to engage in what God has called us to do. You notice that First Peter, or Second Peter, chapter one is up there this morning, and I want to just kind of read through this. And this is a big chunk, so bear with me. But I'm going to read this from the message, which I don't often do. But if you don't know, the message is a paraphrase, which means we didn't take the words over and translate them as exactly as we could and put every word perfectly in order. It is Eugene Peterson, who is a very, uh, very well-studied Bible scholar of both Hebrew and Greek, who is taking, trying to take what he perceives to be the heart of the message and conveying it. And so it's not one that I would say, hey, hold this every word as perfect truth, but I think it's a fantastic sometimes kind of putting it into a different way of reading and a different perspective that just kind of brings a different way of hearing the heart of what most passages are saying, okay? And so I want to read from this because I, I like some of these um, images we kind of get from it the way he puts it. So if you will, you can close your eyes if you want and just listen. You can follow along looking at the screen. It'll be up there, but I just kind of want to read through Peter's words to the church starting in the beginning of his second letter. Simon Peter, I'm a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. I write this to you whose experience with God is as life-changing as ours, all due to our God's straight dealing and the intervention of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have this experience we have, that God changed your life through Jesus. Grace and peace to you many times over as you deepen in your experience with God and Jesus, our Master. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you, your tickets to participate in the life of God, to participate in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given contemplating your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert, disciplined, passionate, patient, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love, each dimension fitting into, a de- into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in the experience of our Master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you, oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. So friends, confirm God's invitation to you, his choice of you. Don't put it off. Do it now. Do this, and you'll have your life on a firm footing. The streets paved with the way open into the eternal kingdom of our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the stakes are so high. Even though you're up to date on all the truth and practice it, and practice it inside and out, 
I'm not going to let up for a minute in calling you to attention before it. This is the post to which I've been assigned, keeping you alert with frequent reminders. And I'm sticking to it as long as I live. I know that I'm to die soon. The Master has made that quite clear to me. And so I am especially eager that you have all this down in black and white so that after I die, you'll have it for ready reference. We weren't, you know, just wishing on a star when we laid the facts out before you in regarding the powerful return of our Master Jesus Christ. We were there for the preview. We saw it with our own eyes. Jesus is Jesus resplendent with light from God the Father as the voice of Of majestic glory spoke, This is my son, marked by my love, focus of all my delight. We were there on the holy mountain with him. We heard the voice out of heaven with our very own ears. We couldn't be more sure of what we saw and heard. God's glory, God's voice, the prophetic word was confirmed to us. You'll do well to keep focusing on it. It's not, it's the one light. You have in a dark time as you wait for daybreak and the rising of the morning star in your hearts. Peter's kind of saying, listen, this word, this interaction with Jesus has transformed you. Don't just sit on it. Like my job, my, my station, with every last breath I have, because I know I'm running out of them and I know my time is coming, but I am pouring everything I have into making sure I constantly remind you, don't let the grass grow under your feet. Stay diligent and actively involved in what you've been called to. Because yes, there's going to be a day when all this is over. But that doesn't mean we just sit on the good news we have now. It doesn't mean we just sit around and wait for it. Stay engaged. Let this produce life to the full. We saw it with our own eyes. Jesus is game-changing. Everything that he touched, everything he came into contact with, changed. Something became different when he hit the scene, when he died on the cross, when he rose again. Everything changed. The question is, when you encounter him, Do you let it just become something that we hold on to in title? Or do we let it become the thing that changes and drives our everything? What we are known for, what we are known for, is only a big deal to us most of the time. We're known for, we talked about this at one point, we're known for like the job we have, we're known for the sport we play, we're known for this, that, or the other that we participate in. That becomes what people know us for because we're good at that thing, we practice that thing, you have that job, we, we kind of know you because of this thing. What if Northside Christian Church was not known for anything other than the fact that they seem to desperately be pursuing Jesus, and their only desire is to know him, to be with him, to become like him, and do what he did. And man, they actually act like what I've understood about Jesus. The way they care for people, the way they listen to people, the way they invite people in and hear them and try to offer them hope in the midst of difficult times, the way they patiently walk through what they understand and they know without constantly making you feel like a dummy for not knowing it, or a horrible person for not actually following it yet. 
the way there is grace in the pressing through and the understanding that we're not perfect, but we are trying to press forward in knowing the way of Jesus, for people to know us by that reputation, what is our reputation currently? Honestly, most of the time when I say, uh, Northside Christian Church, I'm like, which, what, what is that one? It's the one you can see as you leave town but can't actually get to? That's, that's how we describe that a lot of times. Oh, yeah, I've seen that up on the hill. Yeah, I know. You've never been past it, right? Yeah, that's what I figured. Okay. For a lot of people, that's true. And beyond that, why would they know us? We're a small group of people who love each other and care for each other. But that only goes so far. It's important. It gives us the support system, the encouragement, and the community to press forward. But at the end of the day, I don't want to just be known as a group of people who loved each other really well and didn't accomplish anything that was kingdom-minded. The invitation has always been there for us. Come follow me. Not come associate yourself with me. Go sit and call yourself one of my followers, but come and follow me. My plea, my heart, is that not just through this year, but from here forward, and always, we are people of invitation. We make that a core bit of who we try to be. People who are inviting people into this journey, just like Jesus invited people into this journey. People who are inviting people into our life to come follow as we follow him. Those words that Paul spoke in Corinthians to the Corinthians. Come follow me as I follow Jesus. People of invitation who want others to walk through this life with them and come pursue Jesus with them. Not just, hey, you should come to my church. It's great. You know what? Our church is cool and we love our people. And if you're here, that's fantastic. But ultimately, the most important thing we care about is, are you following Jesus? You can go to a different church at the end of the day. If it's easier for you to get to, it's closer to your house. You like that pastor, whatever. It doesn't matter. What we care about is, are you following Jesus? Our goal is not just to fill seats. Our goal is to be people of invitation. Because we believe Jesus is worth following. And my plea is that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That we would receive the invitation to move forward. And what that's going to mean is actually walking out the door today, or maybe even starting while we're in the door today, and coming up with some sort of game plan. We've been talking about this, like writing down some names. We've been talking about coming up with some ideas. If you're here with like a spouse or family members, I encourage you to work together. If you're by yourself but have some friends, I would say work together. Find ways to say, how are we going to hold each other accountable? How are we going to be that encouragement that says we want to be learners? So how are we first studying together? Second, who are we inviting to dinner? Who can I say, hey, in this room, I'm going to work on talking to my neighbors about just getting to know them better. Could you ask me in like three or four weeks how that's going? Because we all know, like, if somebody's going to follow up with that question, it puts a little more pressure on you to actually do it. Like, if you know you have a deadline at work, you better get to it because the boss is going to come asking, where's that project? We love each other. There's a lot of grace. But what that means is we sometimes don't have any accountability to actually do any of the things we talk about. That's going to require a little effort, a little bit of that pick up your cross, a little bit of that hard work to say, I want to be serious about following Jesus. That means I have to actually do something. 
talking to somebody here about, hey, my prayer life, my study life's not been great. I'm going to try to improve that. Can you ask me in three or four weeks or help me come up with a plan? Or can we work through this like for these things to work? Just like, hey, I need a gym buddy if I'm actually going to get serious about going to work out. Because I'm not making it there by myself. So I've got to come up with a plan B. It's the same kind of concept. This is training. Paul talks about it. I press forward diligently. You can't just run the marathon on day one. You've got to train and press forward. And so that training is going to require help. Because we oftentimes, time and time again, throughout all of Scripture and all of history, no matter how good we know the reward is at the end, we lose sight of the prize. We take matters into our own hands. We come complain, become complacent. And when the first thing goes wrong, we go, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just not worth it. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not the one Jesus was after. The reality is all of us are called to be ministers of the gospel. All of us are invited to be with him, to become like him, and ultimately start to participate and do the things he was doing, caring for those who needed it. Maybe not ultimately dying on a cross in the same way he did, but picking up our cross daily and dying and sacrificing and submitting ourselves just a little bit more every day, making that decision to continue following. And so what's step one? I'm not asking you to come up with 15 steps that get you all the way to the finish line next week. But what's step one? Maybe two or three as well. And who can help me actually make sure I follow through? Because we don't want to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Let's bow our heads. So I encourage you for a moment. And pray this prayer, which is a really hard prayer. Sorry, I'm being rough today. But I'm not. That's sorry. I apologize. I want you to pray this prayer that we've prayed a few other times before, just quietly here in the stillness. Search my heart, O oh God, and see if there is any wayward ways in me. Can you make clear to me whether I am just going through the motions and associating myself with you, claiming you, or have I actually surrendered to following you? Like that rich young ruler couldn't lay down his possessions to take those hard steps, Father. Am I willing to lay things down to actually be a follower of yours. I don't want to play games. Search my heart and know me and reveal to me if I'm just going through the motions. Help me to see where I really am and evaluate where my heart really is. I just encourage you in this moment to also pray, just Father, could you make clear to me Two or three, could I, could I be surrendered to you in a way where you offer me two or three options this week to take more seriously? And maybe a name of somebody I need to talk to. Can you help me in the beginnings of coming up with some sort of plan to take seriously, to take action, to take steps, to become a doer? Not just, not just someone who talks about it, but someone who takes steps to pursue it. Ultimately, our transformation and how we do better comes from becoming like him. It is first becoming who he has made us to be, but that still takes action and movement on our part to surrender and follow him. And so maybe this is just a simple step of praying, studying, whatever it is he has in store for you to seek him more clearly. But what are the first couple steps and what's a step of invitation to invite somebody else into that? Father, I pray 
that we would realize that you are worthy. That we would realize what you have gone through on our behalf. That you would daily overwhelm us with a sense of awe at who you are. And that you would help us to find a way to navigate through our distractedness, through our sense of self-preservation, our need to find comfort in just the everyday routine. And help us to navigate through the stuff that causes us just to settle for less than you have called us to. And I pray that you would spark in us a kingdom passion that is for your will and your way, that we would pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would fix our eyes on what it means to seek your heavenly perspective in the here and the now, to, to see your ways come into being in our own lives, in our own space. And though the world may still be broken in so many other ways around us, and there may be so many different ways that... Things don't go according to your way. I pray that you would help us to be a light in the darkness, a city on a hill, because we are being filled with your joy, your hope, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, and your self-control. And that out of that, we become a light to others. We become a representative of you going from one glory to another and accomplishing exactly what it is you have set us forth to do, to go and make disciples, to bring others along in this life to pursue you. Help us to be surrendered to who it is you want us to be, and filled with an urgency, like Peter said, to realize the urgency, and to never let the grass grow under our feet, because we never wanted to miss an opportunity to see your kingdom grow. Help us to be people who are passionate about following you. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.